The author of Luke's Gospel offers us much food for thought in today's passage. Situated between a parable of a non-producing fig tree and an owner that wants to cut it down, and a tiny mustard seed grown into the largest of trees, this 13th chapter of Luke reveals the surprising and invasive character of God's realm. Most often when I've heard this text preached, it has been about those silly Pharisees who decided to put God's commandment to rest above Jesus's decision to heal. This view reveals more about us than it does about Luke's characters, I fear. It reveals how likely we are to forget Jesus's Jewishness first and foremost. But it also reveals how little we know about the Hebrew scriptures and Jewish history. For example, we often cite the prohibition of working on the Sabbath, as did the Pharisees, from Genesis 2 and 3, which reads, And on the seventh day God finished the work God had done and rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work he had done in creation. Those are familiar words to us. But Jesus doesn't cite that text in today's reading when he talks about the Sabbath. He chooses instead words from Deuteronomy, where the text says to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And it says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. That is, keep the day consecrated to God in recognition of your people's deliverance from slavery in Egypt. In this latter rendering of Sabbath, the observance of Sabbath is linked with the undertaking of a holy work, not a total rest from work. In today's text, Jesus emphasizes this second understanding of the Sabbath. Jesus and the Pharisees have different understandings of the same command from God, just like we might think differently from Seventh-day Adventists who worship on Saturday. Just because we believe differently doesn't make one of us right and the other wrong. It means we have different emphases on scripture and therefore different foci. The Pharisees were focused on keeping God's Torah meticulously, which upheld the social order of the day. They were watchmen. But Jesus had a different call and a different role in society because of that call. Jesus was known as a miracle worker, a healer, along with being a teacher and a prophet. In him, the twin purposes of Sabbath merge to honor and worship God and render justice to one's neighbor. This Deuteronomic understanding of holiness is at the heart of Old Testament prophetic traditions, writes the Reverend Dr. Emily M. Towns. In short, Jesus acts in line with his prophetic call and the Pharisees act in line with their traditional call. Let us look to the text. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each one of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away and give it water? 
And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he was doing. This unnamed woman has suffered for 18 long years. While we do not know precisely what her ailment was, we know that she could not stand up straight. We know that she continues faithfully to attend synagogue, and we know that Jesus heals her. This is a two-part healing, and I love the picture we get here. The text says Jesus was teaching, and while he was teaching, a woman appeared. Presumably then, Jesus turns from the group to which he was speaking, and he stops teaching with words and starts teaching with actions. He calls the woman over. She didn't have to come. She had agency. And when she comes, he says, woman, you are set free from your ailment. But the healing doesn't come just from the words. The second part of the healing comes from when he lays his hands on her and the woman stands up straight and begins to praise God. I think most of us reading this text are inclined to cheer Jesus on, and that is our vantage point for the story. But do we believe him? Do we believe that there is healing, that there is a means of restoration? Do we believe that what we lack the power to affect, God can still do and delight in doing on our behalf? Do we notice that the woman's healing does not depend on her faith or the faith of others, but rather on the power of God made manifest in that particular time and place? And do we put ourselves in the place of the woman, this faithful woman in need of healing? Do we come continually before God, remaining in community through challenge and infirmity? Do we know what it is to be seen deeply by the one who created us and calls us good? Do we recognize that the space between ability and disability is not an if, but a when? And do we recognize that even when we are disabled, we are yet heirs of the covenant of promise? and the coming of God's realm? And can we put ourselves in the place of the synagogue leader who in this instance seemed to place form over substance? Can we see how we follow rules meant to undergird our social structure that are in fact harmful? Can we see the injustice and even unintentional cruelty we might support when we do not count for the people we see less often? It is easy to tell other people to be patient and wait one more day for healing. It is easy to consider rules reasonable when they do not affect us personally or the ones we love. But the heart of this text is theological. It is the precursor to the question of what the kingdom of God is like. It shows us that where Jesus is, the realm of God is too. The kingdom of God is in healing and restoration. But what we need most here, I think, is a theology of disability. Yes, Jesus healed. He was a healer, a descriptor as central to his identity as that of teacher. But in today's text, he was illust- his teaching was illustrated by the healing of this woman. The great benefit of her having been healed was more than physical. It was relational. Jesus saw her personhood in a culture that treated her as less or other. Her healing then was less about fixing her, for people don't need to be fixed, and more about fixing the ills of exclusion and dehumanization. 
The outcome of this healing narrative is her restoration to a society in a culture in which disease or disability most often meant disconnection from people, resources, and care. How little has changed. Jesus called the woman a daughter of Abraham. That is, a woman who is heir to the promise of God to a community. We count ourselves as heirs to that selfsame promise. As such, we must do as Jesus did, that powerful prophetic work of seeing people, all people, right where and as they are, and then calling them into community. We don't care about justice unless we care about people. We don't care about people unless we see them and know them. Through knowing others of all abilities and disabilities, we know God. What is miraculous in this story is not that a woman stood and praised God. It is that Jesus saw. Jesus saw so deeply the people around him that he stopped talking about the realm of God and instead ushered in the kingdom of heaven. Right there, big as life. This is the call of the Christian life. To see, to know, to restore to community usher in the realm of God today by taking the time to see people, to hear and know and value them, to look them in the eye, to pause and reflect on whether our rules and constructs and ways of being further marginalize or more deeply restore them. Jesus wants the whole realm of God to be manifest here with us in this room and outside these walls. Make it so, my friends. Make it so.